Okay, our scripture today comes from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. In case you don't know it yet, I'm Amy Wilson-Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar, and I'm delighted to be with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. We're so grateful for the rain, right? Always grateful for the rain. Let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So about four months ago, I stood in this very spot on a Sunday afternoon and I asked a question. What do you appreciate about Morningstar? I was setting the context for a larger conversation about the identity of this local church amid the fracture in our denomination. I gave everyone in attendance index card that looked like this. Do you have an index card with you? Hang on to it. You're going to need it later. I asked everyone in that meeting on that Sunday afternoon in June to write down an answer to the question to use the index card to do, to do so. What do you appreciate about Morningstar? What keeps you coming back? Responses included phrases such as generosity, an emphasis on outreach and mission and community service, intergenerational worship, the quality of sermons and worship, spiritual and emotional support, the depth of Bible studies, diversity of thought, biblical teaching, music, and the dedication to our mission. These are great answers, but overwhelmingly a theme emerged around the idea of friendliness, love, and acceptance, inclusivity, Friendliness, love and acceptance, inclusivity. These words and phrases paint a beautiful picture, one of community, one of belonging. This is really important right now. You may have read in the past couple of weeks recently released data that show that people who do not affiliate with any religious tradition are on track to become the majority in the United States in a matter of decades. This is kind of a shocking statistic in terms of the fact that Christians have been in the majority since the data was tracked 
1930, but it's not so surprising if you've been paying attention to the trends. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The church in the U.S. has been experiencing a steady and now rapid decline since 1960. In fact, data from a recent research project revealed that 40% of people in the U.S. say they aren't interested in church and would never set foot inside a church building on a Sunday morning. If all of these numbers are accurate, then this number would include people who consider themselves to be Christian. The church is losing traction, even among Christians. But I have good news. The church is not a building, right? We sing about this. We actually sang this song at 11.15 last week. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people, right? The church is a people. So that's the good news. The church is a people, a movement of living beings seeking to put the teachings of Jesus into practice. Now here's the bad news. Our practice could use some work. We're missing the mark in a lot of ways. Several years ago now, people who chose not, who choose not to participate in church life were asked to reveal why. Why not? Why do you choose to stay away from church? Their responses were not about worship times. They weren't about the music styles or the opportunities for children, youth, or adults. People who don't come to church regularly, especially those who identify to be Christian, choose to stay away primarily because of behaviors of people in the pews and the pulpit. I'm sorry to say that we have earned a reputation as Christians for being hypocritical, intolerant, and judgmental. I don't like it either. I don't like it. It's easy to bristle against these accusations and just reply with something like, well, people just don't want to be held accountable for their actions. But we are a people of grace, right? We talked about the role of grace in our life and in our practice of faith just last week as a part of our worship series confirmed. It's not what you know. Before that, we spent three weeks talking about the work of God's grace in our lives and in the church and in the world as we seek to follow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Truly, grace is what makes our following of Jesus even possible. And this truth brings us to the conclusion of our series today as we consider what it means for us to be people who are created, who are redeemed, who are sustained, who are graced to be the church to have the confidence and the assurance to encourage each other in the faith, as we read from the Hebrews letter just moments ago. So before we walk through that passage that Laura read for us, I want to ask you again, what do you appreciate about Morningstar? What, what keeps you coming back? You don't have to write it down this time. I want to hear it from you. You can just shout it out in just a minute. Kids, this is for you too. Why do you come to church? What keeps you coming back? Tell me. Why do you come to church? You have to have a reason. It's easy to serve here. Okay. What else? The people, open-mindedness. What else? Service. 
There's a genuine, there's a genuine quality about this place. Good. What else? Why do you come to church? The contemporary music. What else? To hear the good news. Yeah. Sunday school. Yes. Feels like a family. Sandy? Community. Yeah. These are all great reasons to be a part of a local church. I hope if you're worshiping online that you're sharing your comments in the comment section as well. Your responses reveal what we know to be true. The church is a people. And we certainly don't see ourselves as hypocritical or intolerant or judgmental. We see ourselves as a welcoming community, as the, as the body of Christ, as Paul would say, as people connected to one another, belonging to one another, even feeling each other's pain, helping each other try to move forward as we heal and as we follow Jesus. And we are brought together through different cultures and through generations by the grace of God. That's one of the points of the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. That's what the therefore is all about. Did you hear that therefore that Laura used in the very beginning? Every time we hear the word or see the word therefore in scripture, that's an invitation to do what? To listen, to ask why it's there, to look at the previous passage and say, what, what's going on here? What could that therefore mean? So the book of Hebrews as a whole presents a really fascinating message about what it means to build a strong faith. And it was probably shared with several church communities in Rome just before the fall of Jerusalem in the year 70. So this book is structured with some theological sections that are followed by practical applications. What we read today was fairly practical, but what precedes it is a little more theological. In the first part of chapter 10, the writer talks about the works of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection. And there's an allusion here to the Old Testament practice where a priest was required to be a mediator, to offer sacrifices for people to connect with God. The priest had to be in the middle of that interaction. The idea here is that Jesus is the priest for all of us. And not only mediates for all of us as we need it, but has torn down the wall, torn down the veil, so that we don't need a mediator in the same way anymore. We can go directly to our God. The writer talks about the witness of the Holy Spirit to this truth, the witness to this truth in our souls, and then adds this message from God saying, I will remember their sins and their lawlessness no more. I will remember their sins no more. It's this kind of forgiveness, the writer says, that creates the lack of need for someone to mediate for us. It makes it unnecessary because we already have a direct connection. We've been reconciled with God through Jesus. Therefore, therefore, we pick up today, there is no longer a barrier between us and God. There are no reserved sections in the sanctuary, right? Anyone can sit anywhere. But we use that word sanctuary today to talk about our worship spaces, and that means so much to us. But the context here is actually sanctuary as the presence of God. Sanctuary as the presence of God. 
The writer tells us that we have been given the confidence to enter into the presence of God. And we know that confidence is the feeling or the belief that we can rely on someone or something. It's firm trust. And what the writer is saying here is that we can rely on the work of Jesus. We can rely on the work that Jesus has done for us. That's also tied to our assurance, which means confidence, certainty, trust in God's character and faithfulness. And this confidence, this assurance is designed to have a noticeable effect on the way that we live our lives. It's designed to have a noticeable effect. Confidence and assurance are meant to enable us to create a culture that is grounded in the grace of God and flowing with the love of God as we meet together and as we encourage each other. That's the work of the church. That's what we claim, anyway, to be the work of the church. Does anybody know what the mission of the United Methodist Church is? Not the mission of Morningstar, but the mission of the UMC. Does anybody know? Discipleship. Discipleship, yes. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Transformation. Change, growth, whatever, wherever we want to use, it's slow work. It's hard work. It can be painful work. It's the sanctifying grace of God working in us, teaching us to let go of the things that are no longer serving us and inviting us to practice our faith in ways that invite others to join us on this meaningful journey. At Morningstar, we talk about this process as pointing people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus. That is our mission, as Laura reminded us this morning, and we pursue it through a vision of inspirational worship, radical inclusion, and the alleviation of suffering. All of that, all of it, beloved, is experienced through relationship. So it turns out that faith is not so much about what we think. It's important to know what we believe, but faith is more about how we act, how we live what we believe. It's not about what we know. It's about who we know and about how we relate to other human beings in light of our relationship with God. That's the message of Hebrews, and it is what it means to be the church. We are called to meet together, to encourage each other, to provoke each other. Wait, what? I know you heard it. I know that word caught your ear as Laura read it. Let us consider how to provoke one another, the writer says in verse 24. And we all know what it means to be provoked. We may have provoked someone else a time or two in our own lives, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, to provoke is to stimulate or incite a strong emotion or reaction. To incite a strong reaction. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that we are called to provoke each other, not to anger or to division, but to love, to a love that manifests itself into loving actions and good deeds. And we often gloss over these statements when we read them because we've read them so often that they've lost their meaning. We forget that they are countercultural. They're countercultural. 
the church as it was formed after the resurrection of Jesus grew as a movement to push back on the cultural norms just as Jesus had always done. But beloved, we struggle with this. As Christians in 21st century America, we struggle with this because living in ways that are counter to the culture is like swimming upstream. It's uncomfortable. And we want to be comfortable. It takes hard work. And it's not that we're opposed to hard work, but if there is an easy way, we'd rather take it. But here's the key. It's all relational. Everything that Jesus did was. He was not about rule following. He was about relationship building. And the one thing that so many of our relationships are missing today is reconciliation. To reconcile is to put an end to estrangement is to restore a relationship, to restore. Not to pretend that everything's okay and not talk about the problem, but to restore the relationship. And it is super countercultural. If you participated in the Holy Excavations meeting on August the 20th or in Charge Conference on September 25th, this would be old information. But it bears repeating because not everyone was at those meetings and not everyone has read the reports as they've been shared in the email. The church in America is dying, and it is no longer a slow death. Reconciliation could bring it to life again. Reconciliation is the path to resurrection. It always has been. That was the work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection, and it's the way we're called to live our life as well. Reconciliation is the path to resurrection Now, at the beginning of this message, I told you that 40% of people in the U.S. say they will never come to church. And we need to go to them, but that's a whole other sermon. 20% say they would come to church if they were just invited by someone that they know. And another 20 say that they do attend when they actually don't, which actually speaks to a desire or at least a historical value in their life of church. So that's 40% that we can work with pretty easily. We know these people. These people are our friends and our neighbors. And if we're willing to invite them to church, the relationships that could form could be agents of their salvation and ours, especially if Morningstar becomes a place that is unlike anywhere else that I know where reconciliation happens as a matter of integrity because we're followers of Jesus. Now remember, many people won't come to church because they think we're hypocritical, judgmental, intolerant. What if instead of denying that, we confessed it? What if we took time in our personal relationships at church, at home, and at work to admit when we've been hurt? Because sometimes people don't even know that we've hurt them. To own up to our wrongdoing and to make amends regardless of whether the infraction was intentional or a simple misunderstanding. What if we didn't claim to be perfect? We just worked hard to repair the damage that our imperfections caused. I would invite people to a place like that. Would you? Really, would you? That's a healthy church. A church 
of ordinary people who are provoked by love. That's the extraordinary part. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So to remind us of this, I want you to take your index cards. And I want you to consider drawing a heart, like you see on the screen, and the words provoke to love beside it. And if you're online, grab whatever piece of paper you have near you. Kids, this is for you too. Take your index card. Natalie, I know you draw a beautiful heart. You can draw a heart, and then you can see how to... Spell the word provoked right there on the screen. Provoked to love. And when you have the cards ready, go ahead and show me what they say. I don't see very many cards, people. I want you to put this in a place where you can see it. Not in your Bible this time, okay? Put it on your kitchen counter or on your desk at work or in your purse or your wallet. When you're at the doctor's office, you'll see it. When you're at the grocery store. Because it's in those moments when we are provoked that we need to be remember. We need to remember that we are provoked to love. We are provoked to love. It's in these places with people who provoke us that we really need to remember how to be the church. And we are being churched, beloved. We are being churched to be people of grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. That is why we need to keep coming back. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Children, in your worship bags, you have your wooden crosses. I invite you to take the cross out. And if, if you adults have the crosses that I gave you several months ago, more than a year ago now, you're welcome to hold those in your hand. As we hold the cross, we remember that we are connected with God. It's like holding the hand of God as we pray. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for loving us. And thank you for creating us to be a people who love no matter what is going on. Love in the midst of conflict, love in the midst of trial. May that love create a sense of peace in our heart no matter what we are experiencing. As we remember, we are called to be the church, messengers of your love and your grace in the most difficult of times. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.